everyone, and welcome to episode two of the PRT Pod. I'm here today with Matthew Webb and Adrian Sumfield, and we'll be talking about the power of partnerships. This is insurance and investment businesses coming together and helping schemes on their de-risking journey to endgame. But before we dive straight into that, I'd like to welcome the guests and would you be able to give a sort of brief intro to yourself, please? Thanks, Roshni. So Matthew Webb, so I'm head of Endgame Solutions within Legal and General Investment Management. And my role with my team is to help our pension fund clients on their journey through their endgame, which for the majority of them is pension risk transfer with an insurance company. Thanks, Matt. And Adrian? Good morning, Roshni. So, yes, my name is Adrian Summerford, and I'm a director in the pensions risk transfer business of of Legal and General. Um, And our our team are effectively, um, the main role is to um, develop and ultimately execute the bulk annuity transactions that uh, are kind of the end of a client's, typically the end of a client's journey. Great. Thanks both. And thank you both for being here today. Um, I guess we're here to talk about partnerships. But before we dive into that and what that entails, let's talk about how we're seeing such a big increase in demand for buy-ins and buy-outs. Matt? What would you say you're seeing from an investment point of view here? Well, the consequence of increasing bond yields um, really over the last 12 months or so have significantly changed funding levels for pension schemes. I mean, I, I'd go so far as to say that we're in something of an inflection point because the change has been so quick and so marked um, across the board. So to give you some statistics, um, the pensions regulator recently came out and said almost a quarter of pension schemes in the UK, that would be about 350 billion by the end of July numbers, are already fully funded on a buyout basis. Recent data from the Pension Protection Fund suggests that almost all schemes in the UK are now in surplus on a PPS basis. Total deficit across the whole system is around 2 billion out of 950 billion of PPF liabilities, so a tiny fraction. Frankly, something that we could never really um, expected um, 10 or 15 years ago. But it's the individual cases that have been particularly marked. Those schemes that weren't particularly well hedged against bond yields back in September have seen the biggest changes. And they've seen them in such an unexpected way. We've seen schemes that are 110, 120, 140% funded on a buyout basis because they were under hedged to rising bond yields. And they find themselves, instead of a buyout horizon of, say, 10 years away, it's, it's right now. How do I execute today? And going back, I think that's that's why we're at this inflection point, because if, if there really is £350 billion worth of demand out there for buyouts in a market that last year transacted almost but not quite £30 billion, then how are we going to cope? How are we going to get all of those pension schemes to their end game? And we'll get back to your point on how and how we can do this. Um, Adrian, obviously, you and I work on the insurer side, so we know how busy this is. From an insurer point of view, do you have anything to add? Well, I think I think I'd really just echo what what Matt was saying. I think I think we are seeing an incredibly busy year because of because of the market events that have happened. And you know, talk statistics for a little bit. You know, we have written uh, six point eight billion of, of transactions already this year, which in comparison to last year is almost exactly the, the same as, as what we did in a whole year. So it, it's kind of um, a good a good way of illustrating uh, the demand we're seeing. I think that this early demand in the year is coming from the fact that some schemes were you know, ready to transact, but they just didn't quite have the affordability. The the um, the market events have happened as they did in Q4, and suddenly that affordability is there, and those schemes have been able to take advantage of all that prep work they've done, move quickly, and execute, and and that's that's why we have had such a successful a time. 
and then going forward, I say the pipeline, it, it remains exceptionally strong um, and, and is growing, it continues to grow all the time for, for lots of the reasons Matt said. I mean, I wouldn't say we're quite at the 350 billion of, of demand yet, but it's, it's you know, it's, it's, it's a very, very large pipeline. And all these schemes, which perhaps were thinking they'd be ready to come to market in, in five, 10 years time are suddenly suddenly there um, and want to want to know how how to engage with us to, to get to get their, their scheme to buy it fully de risk it's obviously been a busy half year and hopefully this continues over to the next half year um, has this been quite challenging I think what we're seeing because of the market movements a lot of schemes are economically ready to transact if, if they can if they can realize their asset value they can they can they can afford to buy it but they're not practically ready there are some there are some hurdles to overcome which which links back to the previous podcast which talked about how you might prepare practically to come come to market and i and i think as i say what what these schemes actually need is a, is an investment solution which allows them to lock down the great position they're finding themselves in or or, or get them to a, to that great position whilst they have the time to spend um, preparing properly, whether that's preparing their assets, their data, or, or, or their governance plan, et cetera. So um, I guess that's exactly where the concept of, of partnerships comes in and why we're here today. I, we think it's it's really powerful to kind of perhaps work in partnership with with our own investment management team to kind of create a, a holistic solution which covers both being ready to transfer to buy out at the right time, but how, what is that, what is that strategy to, to allow you to prepare in the right way? And I guess this is where Matt comes in. How would you see yourself engaging with an insurer from an investment perspective? Well, the question the clients are trying to address is, is how long am I going to be waiting um, before I can execute? What else have I got to do in my, in my governance and other budget to, to get ready? Um, and in that period, I, I'm looking for a holding pattern, if you will, a holding pattern before we come in to, to land for this, for this buyout transaction. And this could be six months, it could be, it could be many years whilst things have been getting ready. And what are the objectives I've got in that period? Well, most importantly, most fundamentally, given the fantastic position that we find ourselves in, is to stay here, is to stay well enough funded to be able to transact. So I, I want to lock down, as, as Adrian was saying, I want to lock down the risk and I want to get ready. So three things. Firstly, by funding level volatility, we need to know what are the risk sensitivities how do we stay at this position? And then two, have I got time? How do I get ready? How do I make myself most efficient, as efficient as possible to transact to the insurer? And then three, and this is a, a, an elephant in the room for, for many clients, is what do we do about liquids if we hold them? Many pension schemes, particularly the ones I mentioned earlier that are surprisingly finding themselves 120% funded, were investing in liquid assets for the long term. They had a seven, a 10, a 15 year time horizon to invest in liquid assets. And all of a sudden, now they need to transact. So what do we do? So going back to your first point, volatility, could you sort of you know, give us a bit more here, like explain a bit more what, what you mean by that? So we know that broadly speaking, insurance companies are investing in corporate bonds and corporate bond-like investments because that's the way solvency to incentivize the insurance system to invest. We also know that they don't like unrewarded risks. So we know that their LDI portfolios, their rates and inflation hedging is going to be high. So I'm expecting that the, the key economic drivers of buyout funding level volatility is the difference in interest rate, inflation, and credit spread sensitivity as between what the pension fund is holding and what the insurance company is holding. The problem I have is I don't exactly know what the insurance company is holding. So how do I set my target? 
and I think it's a it's, it's it's a good point. And I think the, the challenge is that every every insurer is different. Um, you know, we do invest in in credit like assets, but we also have other investments in liquid assets ourselves. And and every insurer is is, is slightly different. So you're never going to get a perfect solution which covers all insurers' bases. So it's perfectly um, you know in the holding pattern for every insurer. So so we think of the, you know to get the most efficient holding pattern. Is you should partner with one insurer. Perhaps it's an insurer you like. You've decided you'd like to transact with that insurer. You partner with that one. They can give you their specific um, information, amount of credit-like assets, what type of PVO one and IAO one, etc. That they're that they're targeting for that scheme. Um, and by sharing that information, we can get you a much more um, a much more efficient um, uh, holding pattern investment strategy. And, and with and with that information, what we can do in the investment side is is, is quite simply just expand. The LDI framework we already have. We're already managing interest rate and inflation risk for pension fund clients inside LDI mandates because that's what liability lo- used to look like—a a set of fixed cash flows with inflation sensitivity. The challenge is that now the liability is not that liability; it's the buyout liability. It's it's what the insurance company has. So so if we've got that information, that third risk factor, that third risk factor being credit spreads, then we can simply expand the LDI mandate to include um, risk tolerance to both rates, inflation. And credit spreads. Yeah, that makes sense. And the second point you mentioned was efficient transacting. And I guess here we bring in sort of like the cost saving. What do you have to say about that? How do we how do we do that? Well, well the first order challenge is the risk that we just we just covered. But if you've got time on your side to get ready whilst you're preparing for buyout, then the next question is: well, instead of investing like an insurer, can we can we actually invest? As like the insurer that we're going to, can we buy the actual assets that the insurer wants? Because if we could do that, then the insurer doesn't have to go out and restructure its portfolio. It's going to uh, save transaction costs. It's going to be cheaper. Now, we know that insurance companies generally differ from pension schemes because they tend to discount their liabilities on a swaps-based discount rate, not gilts like most pension schemes. We also know that, that they invest in different types of credit, uh, and that they're incentivized to do so under the Solvency 2 gu- guidance, but exactly which ones? So again, my next question to the insurer is, is, is how much swaps and gilts risk have you got in your LDI portfolio, and what does the credit look like? Yeah, and, and I completely agree with you, Matt. I think it's, it's almost like if you're, if you're going to take the time to rebalance your investment strategy anyway, why not try and make it even more efficient for, for the particular insurer? And, and, and he's completely right that one, you know, a key, a key pricing factor that we will look into at the time is you're going to pay your premium with a, with a set of assets. We, it's very unlikely that that's the assets we're going to hold. So we're going to then need to spend some time taking that uh, premium portfolio, if you like, reshaping that, remoulding that into what we actually want to hold for the long term to match the liabilities, which is what Solvency 2 um, requires us to do. And so, yeah, why why not share that kind of framework with with um, your your investment manager as well to say, well, if you're going to restructure this, why don't you you do it in the same way? That that should produce cost savings. We won't need to. Um, that's not risks we're then taking on, and so we don't need to to, to charge premium for that. It's, it's, and so, from the systems point of view, you're creating a more efficient transaction, a more affordable transaction, which ultimately means you know more security and, and maybe better benefits for members. So it, it, it's a good solution all round, really. So with that information, what we can do on the investment side is we can adapt the LDI framework, the benchmark that we're we're aiming to, and we can include swaps specifically inside the framework that we're heading to. Most importantly, we can simplify uh, the total number of swaps that we have and make the portfolio as as transferable, if you like, 
as possible to reduce the operational governance burden at execution to transfer to the insurance company. And then on the credit side of things, um, we're already a very large investor in buy and maintain credit mandates for our clients, which is very similar to the way that an insurance company invests. But an additional benefit is because we also manage the money for legal and general, we also know what Solvency 2 looks like. We know what the constraint is, and we already filter our portfolios for that. So what we can also do is expand our buy and maintain mandates to include restrictions in the investment parameters to invest, invest like an insurer. So essentially mirroring what the insurer is investing and sort of working within that regu regulatory framework will reduce those frictional costs. And the key point being is that, is that if you've got time to do that, when, when the market is ready, then it's cheaper and more efficient to do that whilst you're waiting than it is for the insurer to do it at a point in time at the point of execution. So it's all about planning and being efficient with, with capital. Right, and uh, just to bring us back to the third point, illiquid assets. Illiquids. Yeah, illiquids. <laughs> so as we said, we, we have clients, and what kind of illiquid assets are we holding now? Now, the, the, the irony here is that insurance companies do actually hold illiquid assets themselves for the same very good reasons that pension schemes do, which is they generate attractive returns over the long term. But unfortunately, not all the liquids are the same. So the question I have as an investor is effectively, what investments can I transfer to the insurance company that they actually want to hold? Because I'll keep those. And what do they not want? Because then I've got some time, there's something I can do with them. No, I agree. And I think really liquids is just an extension of, of what we were just talking about with the, with the credit credit mandate. Every every insurer will have their own view of what's a suitable liquid asset and, and different durations and, and different aspects that they would like. But it is very much a, an asset specific thing and, and requires quite a lot of um, work between between the uh, scheme who's holding the assets to share information with an insurer so they can understand that those are liquid assets. And I think really the, the power of working in partnership here is that you can spend that time to, to understand that and find the right solution for those liquid assets. It, it may well be that those liquid assets, as, as Matt said, we will hold them ourselves in, in some form. So it may be, it can be just directly transferred from, from the pension scheme to the insurer and that, that would be great. No, not many, you know, not any frictional costs and, it, and that'd be very useful. But again, the, the solvency two restrictions mean that, uh, you know, there, there aren't, um, there are challenges to, to that. It's not always as simple as, as that. Um, but we, we have seen examples with, with share and leaseback property or private credit, um, um, which is held directly by schemes, can, 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 can be transferred in that way. But if, if you're not going to do that, well, then what, what are you going to do with your illiquid assets? And again, it, it, it's not always the case that it's best to just give it to an insurer to, to then try and deal with the problem themselves, because that can create frictional costs as well. And if you're if you're working over a time frame and, and you've got a plan to kind of be in that holding pattern while you prepare, why not look to to find an alternative solution to those illiquids on, on, on the scheme's balance sheet? So that may be selling them down themselves or, or running them off themselves or perhaps using some kind of deferred premium structure. There are, there are lots of different ways to do it. Um, I would say ultimately that the power of the partnership here is that you can share that information in that live environment, safe in the knowledge that, that the other risks are locked down and you can adapt that as you, as you go along to find, again, find the best solution all around. Right, so it sounds like there's lots of things that a scheme can do to get to a good place to have that certainty and uh, to transact at the end and make, take advantage of the position they're in right now. Mm -hmm. um, I guess we talked a, about a couple of those things that we could do. Do you have a sort of successful example of where we've done this before? Yes, I mean, I, mean, I, I think I think probably the, the best example uh, is 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 the work we've been doing with the, the British Steel Pension Scheme. Um, we've, 
recently announced in our half results that we did uh, a final transaction with them uh, this year. But over the last couple of years, we, we've, we've been employing this, this partnership approach um, and, and now signed for buy-in transactions with them, totaling seven and a half billion, got their scheme to, to fully funding. And it's really was the partnership which we built on a lot of the a lot of the um things we've talked about here you know working with them to to reshape their investments so that they could be in the, um be ready to transact at the right time and and looking at you know their illiquid assets and and and, and frictional costs and and ultimately i think we've, we've got an excellent solution for their members there so that sounds great and it sounds like a lot of work went in from all sides of the partnership here would you say this would work for all schemes or was it a special case for british steel the principles that we've set out today around volatility and, and efficiency and liquid assets, I think, apply to all schemes and at all sizes. So certainly from within Elgin, from an investment perspective, um, this is the way that we're evolving and changing our de-risking services for all of our clients. But predominantly, that's just an extension of the LDI framework, as I said, to include credit spreads as a third risk factor and to expand our buy-maintain mandates to make them more insurance-friendly and to combine that together with the data that we get from, uh, from, from legal and general to help our clients at any stage and any size uh, to move forward on their journey to endgame. Yeah, I, I think every scheme is unique. Every, everyone has its own challenges. But, but you know, the principle of, of not quite being ready to transact for whatever reason and therefore wanting to, lock, to, to work with an investment solution first before moving on to an insurance solution is one that could apply to, to schemes of, of any size. The reason why they might be in that holding pattern may be different. The actions that you're taking during that holding pattern might be taken. But ultimately... And, and even, sorry, you know, it may not, we've talked a lot today because of the market we're in. Most schemes at the moment are wanting, the holding pattern is because they are fully funded and wanting to protect that position. We might be in a world in the future where schemes are looking to improve their funding position and are looking for an investment strategy which allows them to, to kind of improve the funding level in, a, in, a, in, a, in a, an appropriate way um, without increasing risk t too highly and transact when opportunities arise. So there's different flavours of it. Um, but once you've got the key principle of working together in collaboration, like, like we have been kind of as one, one LNG, it can have many different forms. And, and um, I think having success um, with the partnership is, is a, a great proof of concept and allows us to develop that. And we see this as a great way of moving forward with lots of schemes. So it sounds like, you know, communication is very key here so that all participants within this partnership are aligned in sort of like achieving those goals with the scheme. Um, do you guys have any sort of closing thoughts or pieces of advice that you can pass to our listeners? I would say that for most schemes that are in this fortuitous position, um, the biggest risk they face potentially is regret risk and the regret risk that, that, that things change and they go back to the way they were before they're, they, they're able to execute. So what I'd really like to implore is that, is that pension schemes think about this risk that they're currently running, think about the, the volatility. And the first question to be looked at straight away really is, is how do I adjust my risk sensitivity to preserve or improve the buyout funding level that I've currently got? Yeah, and I think continuing the theme, it's all about communication, isn't it? And I think if, if, this, is a, if this is a scenario you think you're in or, or you'd like to find out more, just, just reach out to, to us. As you can tell today, we're very happy to talk about it. So um, I, think, I think I just encourage early, early collaboration, whether it be through your broker or, or directly. Um, we, have, we have email addresses we can put on the bottom of the screen uh, now and, 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 and various links. So I, I, I just encourage uh, active and open communication. Thank you both for being here. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in. If you'd like to get in contact, we've put the email in the description below. And don't forget to like, share and subscribe. 